2005 UTC right after the international need. South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Tuesday, November 23rd, 2022. The U.S. government donates money for creating awareness about gender-based violence in South Sudan. Prevention, protection, and care responses to gender-based violence are needed to create a safe South Sudan for women and families. Our partnership with UNFPA will address some of these critical elements. And an evangelical group is asking a South Sudanese lawmaker to rebuild a church he touched in Warab State. Whoever is meddling in this issue, I will deal with him. I am ready to pay 31000 We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The United States Agency for International Development is working with the United Nations Population Fund to establish a safe house for gender-based violence survivors in South Sudan's capital, Juba. The USAID director for South Sudan says there is a need for creating a safe house in South Sudan for victims and survivors of gender-based violence. For VOA News, Deng Deng reports from Juba. According to 2021 data from the Gender-Based Violence or GBV Information Management System, physical violence accounted for 37% of GBV in South Sudan, followed by sexual violence at 25% of total reported cases. Kete Crawford is the USAID Mission Director for South Sudan. Prevention, protection and care responses to to gender-based violence are needed to create a safe South Sudan for women and families. Our partnership with UNFPA will address some of these critical elements and move South Sudan towards reaching UN Sustainable Development Goal 5 for achieving gender equity and empowering all women and girls. The USAID donated $300,000 in a grant to establish the safe house for gender-based violence survivors in Juba. Kidane G. Abraha, head of Integrated Sexual Reproductive Health and Rights Program at the UN Population Fund in South Sudan, says the one-year initiative is expected to work with community members to build support, particularly among men, for GBV prevention efforts. South Sudan is actually having the GBV among the countries with high GBV prevalence and uh, mothers and young women are seriously affected. Generated actually primarily this is conflict, but also we are having this patriarchal system and also the social impact which is actually affecting the rights of women and girls in South Sudan. So in order to, to address these issues, uh, we are partnering. Actually, initially, that's the mandate of NFP working on GBV, where we have one-stop centers and so on. Mm-hmm. Treat them both uh, medical, psychological, and also providing law services. Abraha says after creating the safe house in Juba, UNEPA will advocate for opening more safe houses across the country to ensure that survivors of gender-based violence get the support they need when they need it. Survivors are not getting the desired support on time. 
this is the whole intention of uh, the, the grant, and it run throughout 2023. And this is actually an entry point. However, we are expecting further and uh, broader cooperation with USAID to, to, in order to address you know, the huge demand that we have in areas of uh, gender-based violence in South Sudan. Activist Lona James, Executive Director of Voice for Change, welcomes the initiative, saying there need to be more awareness of gender-based violence across the country. This aspect of dowry, people think when when you are when you are raped by your husband, actually they say there is no rape because they marry you and they can do whatever they want to do with you. And you are considered as an object for sexual gratification, that is it. You know? But there is a need, yes. There is a need. Not only just to protect them, but also actually to find out why, to establish why these men are doing like that. UNFPA says it will establish a transitory shelter service for survivors in Juba to serve as a safe space for people fleeing life-threatening situations. On several occasions, the United Nations has reported a surge in gender-based violence in South Sudan, fueled by persistent conflict and the climate crisis. Notable forms of gender-based violence include sexual violence, intimate partner violence, and forced marriage. While men and boys are also affected by gender-based violence, the vast majority of survivors are women and girls. According to a report from the Global Women's Institute and the International Rescue Committee, up to 65% of South Sudanese women and girls in conflict zones have experienced some kind of physical or sexual violence. For VOA News, I am Dengaiding in Juba. Still in Juba, the Council of Evangelical Churches in South Sudan has condemned the recent burning of a Seventh-day Adventist church in Warap State and is asking a lawmaker responsible for touching the building to pay for reconstructing the church. For VOA News, Wakes Simon Wudu reports from Juba. The Council of Evangelical Churches of South Sudan describes the church burning as a dangerous threat which can cause insecurity and urge the government to take legal action against the MP Salfa Matok as a move to deter future attacks on churches. In a video shared widely on social media, Mathok admitted calling for people to burn down the church. At a news conference held in Juba yesterday, Bishop Paul Deng, chairperson of the Council of Evangelical Churches of South Sudan, said Mathok's actions are contrary to the laws of South Sudan and amount to abuse of power. Honorable Salfa Matok uh, speaking in Dinka and a mix of Arabic stated the following word what's below. The church is preaching immorality uh, in the community. The church has banned shrines that uh, we our and our communities have lived for. I have burned it down this morning and I will count it as one of the battle I have fought. Whoever is meddling in this issue I will deal with him. I am ready to pay 31 cows. Last month, a seven-day Adventist church was burnt to the ground in Warap State's Gogreal East County. Mathok, a lawmaker from Warap State, representing in the South Sudan Transitional National Legislative Assembly and a veteran general, had claimed responsibility over the incident. 
Clement Joseph Arikangelo, chairperson of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Sudan distanced the church from allegations made by Mathok that his church is forcing villagers to join the church and worship as Seventh-day Adventists. We do not force people to become Seventh-day Adventists. What we do is we preach, we preach Christ and Him crucified. Those who believe, then they get baptized into Christ. Then that is who we work with. But the, the person who choose to worship shrines and who seek to worship river, and th- that is their right. Under Constitution, they can re- worship their rivers and they, they can worship whatever they want. The Council of Evangelical Churches of South Sudan says Mathok's actions amount to human rights violations and violations against the country's constitution and called on Mathok to use the legal system if he has grievances with the church. Bishop Deng is calling on Mathok to issue a public apology and reconstruct the church and compensate the Seventh-day Adventists for all damages incurred by the church burning. Considering the position of Honorable General Salfa Mathok and the above statement that he made, the council cannot take them lightly. These are dangerous threats and utterances that can cause insecurity in the area, the church and the nation as a whole by giving license to his supporters on the ground to do anything. Deng also says, as the Council of Evangelical Churches of South Sudan, they want the government to hold the Mathok accountable for his actions. We are asking also the government of South Sudan to seriously take legal action against such a people who have taken the law into their own hand. And it might not be self Mathok alone. There are so many incidences that have been recorded in South Sudan of this nature. This is not Mathok's first fight with the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Warap. Church officials say in 2019 he forced church officials to vacate Gokrial East County. For VON News, I'm Simon Wudu in Juba. Some Sudanese political groups and parties are calling for a review of the Juba peace agreement to match with the current developments in the country. Yasser Arman, the interim chairperson of the newly established SPLM Revolutionary Democratic Current, says the next transitional government could have a structure that could contradict the provisions of the Juba peace agreement. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Speaking at the media forum in Khartoum early this week, a prominent leader in the Forces for Freedom and Change, or FFC coalition, Yasser Arman, the interim chairman of the newly established Espelem Revolutionary Democratic Current, said expected political changes in the upcoming transitional period will likely demand that the Juba Peace Agreement be revised in accordance with the new draft constitution. Arman says the expected transitional period will have to address all urgent political matters facing the country, which includes the Juba peace deal. In order to smoothly move forward in the new era, if we look keenly, the military is not going to be part of the government. And this is going to be a new situation of power sharing. Therefore, there is need to revise the Juba Peace Agreement, given the facts surrounding the political development in the country. 
The Juba Peace Agreement, mediated by the South Sudan government, was signed on October 3, 2020, between the Sudanese transitional government and several armed groups under the umbrella of Sudan Revolutionary Front. Last week, Sudan's political parties announced they reached a framework agreement with the military to move beyond the political stalemate in the country since last year's military coup. The FFC said it approved a two-phase political process based on a bar association initiative to establish a civilian government, then tackle issues concerning transitional justice and reforms to the military. Arman says that process will likely include adjusting the Juba peace agreement. The latest development on the eastern track within the Juba peace agreement is also questionable. Some voices were even questioning the criteria in which the agreement was divided into five tracks. These questions need to be answered carefully once again. We are not against the agreement itself, but we want to renew this agreement to have wider support from a majority of the public. Speaking to South Sudan in focus in Khartoum early today, Osman Said, a spokesperson of the Sudanese Revolutionary Front, warned against interfering with the Juba Peace Agreement, saying the deal should remain as it is and be fully implemented. Said says, despite challenges facing the implementation of the agreement, the RSF coalition firmly rejects the notion of revising the agreement. It is an international agreement mediated by the Republic of South Sudan and has international guarantors signed by Troika countries, the United Nations, the Arab League, and many of the neighboring countries and blocs. For us, the agreement is valid and has brought back the rights to the people who have been affected by war. Last year, the Bija High Council of Eastern Sudan said it no longer recognized the Eastern Truck Agreement that was signed as part of the comprehensive Juba peace deal. The Bija people say those who represented Eastern Sudan during the peace negotiations did not represent the people of Eastern Sudan. Said insists the agreement remains as one package despite dissenting voices. The Sudanese Revolutionary Front is committed to implementing the Eastern Track in addition to the Security Arrangements Protocol. We also keep our commitment towards following the enshrined implementation matrix and we will be ready to discuss this with the Sudanese government so as to put priorities for the full implementation of the agreement. In December last year, a South Sudanese chief negotiator, Tut Gatluak, the South Sudan presidential advisor on security affairs, announced the suspension of the Eastern Track, a provision which addresses concerns of the people in Eastern Sudan. Gatluak said, upon reviewing the agreement with all signatories, they found the Eastern Track had not been implemented due to concerns raised by the Bija community. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, West African leaders ring an alarm bell about activities of Islamist insurgency. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today 
Where do you get your health advice from? Sometimes I get my health advice from my grandmother who is at home. When I'm sick that I can't control myself, she will help I get my health advice from my friend, colleague who live together, who also know about those who have been experiencing more problems about health. They don't advise me through phone, we talk, we chat, discuss everything. My dad, because my dad is a doctor. I'd say I get my health advice from various places, the internet, my parents, because I have, my mother is a nurse. My health advice, I get it on the internet. If I need something on how to deal with obesity, I get it on the internet. Anything I need pertaining to health advice is on the internet. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Ghana's President Nana Akufo-Addo on Tuesday warned that a rampant Islamist insurgency in West Africa's Sahel is threatening to engulf the entire region. Luisa Nax reports. West Africa's Sahel region is under threat from being engulfed by a rampant Islamist insurgency. That's according to Ghana's President Nana Akufo-Addo on Tuesday. Today, the terrorist groups emboldened by their apparent success in the region, are seeking new operational grounds. The development that has triggered a southward drift of the menace from the Sahel to coastal West Africa. Akufo-Addo's comments come as West African leaders and European ministers meet in Ghana as part of the Accra Initiative Security Conference. The aim of the talks is to discuss regional solutions to the spreading insurgency. It comes as foreign troops pull out of Mali, where militants have seized vast swathes of territory. France, Denmark and Ivory Coast are among countries that ended military cooperation with Mali this year over the ruling junta's cooperation with Russian mercenaries sparking concerns that this will create a security vacuum in an area where groups linked to al-Qaeda and Islamic State have already branched out, both into Mali's neighbours and also into coastal states south of the Sahel, such as Benin and Togo, which have both seen a rise in attacks in recent years. His European Council president, Charles Michel. And this situation tours for rapid mobilizations from regional partners and from the entire international community. Because your fight against terrorism is our fight too. Despite efforts to fight insurgents, attacks have increased over the past decade. The violence has killed thousands of people and displaced more than 2.7 million across the Sahel, according to the United Nations. In June, the UN said that over 30 million people in the Sahel will require life-saving assistance and protection in 2022. That's almost 2 million more than the previous year. The East African community postponed a third round of peace talks between the Democratic Republic of Congo and rebel groups in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, saying conditions for the talks are not right. The talks by the Seventh Nation Group are being held in parallel with the peace talks in Angola between the president of Burundi, the DRC, and Rwanda. Kinshasa has accused Kigali of supporting the M23 rebels in DRC, which Rwanda denies. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi. 
the two leaders, Felix Shisekedi and Kenyan President William Ruto, met a week after Kenya sent some 900 troops as part of the East African Regional Force to Eastern Congo to quell the violence and disarm the rebels operating in the area. Ruto reaffirmed his country and the East African Community Regional Bloc's commitment to help Congo build a stable nation. We are committed under the East Africa community to do whatever it takes to support His Excellency the President, to support the government of DRC and the people of DRC so that we can have peace in this country. It is in our interest collectively and individually that we have a peaceful region. Their peace talks planned in Angola's capital, where President Shisekedi is expected to meet Rwandan President Paul Kagame after months of tension between the two neighbors over the rebellious activities in eastern Congo. Kinshasa is accusing Rwanda of supporting the M23 rebel group against its forces, a claim denied by Kigali. Planned talks in Nairobi between the Congolese government and the rebel groups that were scheduled for Monday have been postponed. Belize, Kerege, an independent political and security researcher in eastern Congo, says the success of talks between Kinshasa and Kigali can help ease tensions in the eastern part of the country. They should give more attention to the talks in Luanda and the president should continue to engage the Congolese people inside the country, he says. The president needs to start the peace talks among all the Congolese people and we know what the Congolese want. The Congo's crisis needs to be solved by the Congolese themselves and their leaders inside the country, not outside. The resurgence of the rebel group M23 has threatened the peace in eastern Congo and displaced thousands in recent weeks. There is an ethnic component to the fighting in North Kivu. M23 is made up of mainly Tutsis and has accused the Congo government of failing to protect their families against other rebel groups in the region led by Hutus. The group has vowed to continue fighting until they are assured of their safety against other rebel groups and the Congolese army. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. At the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, the Atlas Lions of Morocco will be the third African national team to take the field when they take on Croatia today. On Tuesday, Tunisia drew nil-nil with Denmark. Football analyst Laken Ig of Nigeria tells reporter Mike Bonnie the Eagles of Tunisia performed above expectations. Tunisia played an impressive game against uh, Denmark today. I didn't uh, really give... Uh, Tunisia a fighting chance against Denmark, but they, they, they rose to the occasion today and I must say I'm hugely impressed with their performance against Denmark and it's a signpost of what is to come uh, in this group really. While we wait for the outcome of the match between France and Australia, it's obvious that uh, Tunisia will have a say in who qualifies in this group. Uh, I said earlier, France was my top favorite to qualify from this group and uh, France may be joined by Denmark but be, uh, with the performance I saw of uh, Tunisia against Denmark today then it means uh, Tunisia has a very bright chance of qualifying 
from this group. I must say I am impressed with what Tunisia played against Denmark. Do you think Tunisia has chances against France and Australia in their group? Yeah, Tunisia surely has a very good chance against France and Australia. With their performance today against uh, Denmark, I think it gives them you know, hope that they can you know, play any of these two uh, nations in their next uh, set of matches, particularly because France are the defending champion. So a lot uh, will be at stake in that encounter whenever Tunisia plays against France, because France will need uh, to avoid the mistakes of what has happened to the last previous uh, World Cup winners who failed to qualify from the group stage. So with the performance today, I see Tunisia doing well against Australia and holding uh, their heads high against France whenever they meet in the group stage. Leko, do you also think Tunisia's game will motivate other African teams to do well in their games? Yeah, the rest of the African countries can look at the match uh, Tunisia had today against Denmark and say, look, uh, they have a chance too in this World Cup. Although we saw Senegal lose by uh, two goals to nothing against the Netherlands, but the rest of uh, African representatives you know, can look ahead to matches that are to come and say, look, if Tunisia could do this, then uh, they can also do the same. So it's for them to rise to the occasion and hold the banner of Africa at the ongoing World Cup in Qatar. Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Jamila by Sultan Clinton.
to Sultan Clinton and the song Jamila. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.